Jimmy, this is Angel. Listen, I got this new pad right over by the Hollywood Freeway. Some friends are coming. Wow, your record player. Welcome to 200 Today, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiarab Shaw. And here we are to uh, to talk about another episode of The Rockford Files. <laughs> <laughs> How do we do this? Yeah. Well, you, you picked the episode this week, so... Uh... I did indeed. Uh, we are going to be talking about Season 4, Episode 1, Beamer's Last Case. Mm-hmm. I did pick this one um, in response to some of our last round of uh, answering machine feedback. Mm-hmm. To recap, back in our episode 92, South by Southeast, Jim references his cat. And at that time, we talked about how we don't think he actually has a cat. It was just kind of part of this like conversational back and forth. And then in our last round of uh, answering machine feedback, it was brought to our attention that there is canonically a cat named Valentino that Jim yes. that Jim has. And I don't remember exactly, but through two different directions, uh, we found and also that listener um, came back with, with a little more about how this was specifically from this episode that is established. So I was like, well, since we've been talking about Jim's cat Valentino, let's go ahead and watch that episode. So that is what brings us to Beamer's last case. And uh, if I'm not mistaken... This is this will also be a wrap on Valentino. I I think so. I, I think this is a this is a one one episode. This this is a guest star appearance, a one timer. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, this is but this is also I think in its own right, it is an interesting episode. Um, it's kicking off season four, which is kind of considered the most um well considered, which is the Emmy award winning season uh, for the show right. as a dramatic series. Uh, Garner had won an Emmy for dramatic lead in, I think the second season, I forget exactly. Um, but this is where the Rockford files got its best dramatic show. Emmy, whatever the title of that is the, the episode submitted for consideration is considered to be, I don't know if it's like, I don't know. This is just, this is from Ed Robertson's book, but uh, that episode was um, cooking Nirvana is Right. The one that was submitted for consideration that won them the award, which is later in the season. Um, but this is actually also a award nominated episode, as I will as I discovered. Oh, uh, but yeah, but this season is like we're, we're we're in the David Chase era. He's come on to the show, you know, a couple, you know, the season before, I believe. Um, but this is a really hitting all cylinders season creatively even though audience-wise, it was kind of like a median season. I mean, the most popular season oh, of the show was, was the first season. And then it yeah. kind of went down a little bit and then rebounded a little bit and then kind of was a a staple Friday night show, but it was never as popular as it was in that first season, mm-hmm. just in terms of ratings. But yeah, so this is what we would have tuned in, tuned into on September 16th, <laughs> 1977, to see the new season of, of Rockford. This episode is directed by Stephen Cannell, um, one of only three episodes that he directed. We've done White on White and Nearly Perfect, mm-hmm. and one of our lost episodes, uh, Paradise Cove. Oh. So I'm not counting this as a wrap on, on him as a director, right. because we still have to redo Paradise Cove. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He directed this one. And he did the teleplay for it, but the credited story goes to two 
two writers, Booker Bradshaw and Calvin Kelly, which <laughs> honestly sound like 2010s WWE wrestler names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just think the same thing. These are these are two guys in NXT that would have two names and then when they got to the main roster, you would they would just be they would just be down to one. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow. Um Booker Bradshaw uh was an actor and a writer. Um he was on a couple episodes of original series Star Trek, among others. And he wrote the Columbo episode Playback, which concerns it kind of an inventor who's in love with his own gadgets, which is probably not a great episode of Columbo, but I find it very charming. (laughs) Like, it's one of my personal faves, even though it's, I think, uh, uh, objectively probably not one of the great episodes. (laughs) I think I... I think I've seen that one recently. It's the one where they have like the clap activated doors and um, his wife is oh, in a wheelchair. Oh, maybe I haven't seen this. He has a digital watch and they spend a lot of time explaining how a, what a digital watch is. That's great. It shows the numbers. It just shows the numbers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, uh, he also wrote for um, the Richard Pryor show. Oh, okay. And, and it had lots of like one-off acting gigs uh, kind of throughout the 70s and 80s. Calvin Kelly, I could find absolutely nothing about online other than his IMDb credits, which are uh, 12 different shows. Most of them are one episode, one-offs, but one of his writing credits is for the 65 episodes of the Dennis the Menace 80s cartoon. (laughs) All right, so this is a person who shopped around a bit and then found a home. I wonder how that crediting works because I took a look and like most of the writers are credited on mm-hmm. all the episodes. So I wonder oh, if it's okay. like yeah. a writer's room situation or if like animation credits people differently or what. But could could be an IMDb issue too because there's a yeah. um, there's a series that M and I watched called Crossbow from the eighties, mm-hmm. uh, and there was a character in the first season who just kind of did a lot of characters in the first season who were around. Uh, and you think that they're going to be important later on. And they just kind of disappear. And I went to check their credits to see how many episodes they were in. And it was like 50 episodes. Not all of the episodes, mm-hmm. but the majority of the episodes. And they clearly weren't. They just <laughs> IMDb, you know. I, I think IMDb is a, a little lax when it comes to, like, smaller name yeah. things. Although, I mean, Dennis the Menace has got some star power, right? Like. <laughs> That's Dennis the Menace. He's the Menace. I I don't know. You can you can take a look and at the at the listing and tell me what you think if you uh need to take a break while I'm talking. So no, but this is this is exactly the thing I'm talking about. There are 78 episodes of Dennis the Menace, mm-hmm. and he's credited for 65, but probably only did a few. You know, like yeah, there's something weird going on in the background there. Yeah, because if you look at the writer, like if you look at the list of writers, there's like 12 of them that specifically say 65 episodes and then the next three right. say like five episodes and i'm like i don't i don't know what happened yeah anyway so if you're a dennis the menace expert <laughs> let us know what the deal is with calvin kelly so yeah so story by those two um teleplay by cannell we have some great cannellisms in uh yeah. in the dialogue <laughs> which i'm sure comes straight from his brain I mentioned earlier that this is also an award-nominated show. So this episode was nominated for a Writers Guild of America Award for Television episodic drama. Mm-hmm. So this episode and Quickie Nirvana were both nominated and like in the running, I guess. 
Um, but the winning episode for this year was an episode of Police Story. Oh. The, the way that it's displayed, at least on Wikipedia, is like, I guess, all the nominees. And it's like four or five episodes of various shows, and then one of them won. So uh, the Rockford Files had five nominations in this category throughout its run, but did not actually win any of these Writers Guild of America awards. However, fun trivia that I found from going down this rabbit hole was that Stephen Cannell did win one of these awards, the Episodic Drama Writers Guild of America Award for Television. For the show that he did after the Rockford Files, this had never come across my my my, my transom. Are you familiar with the next show that Cannell and I think Juanita Bartlett and like a lot of the Rockford Files people moved on to after Rockford was over? I don't think I am. I'm looking him up right now to see if uh, I never um... I had never seen this um, or or heard of this. So it's a it's a show called Ten Speed and Brown Shoe. What? Okay, all right. It only ran for the one season. It got this Writers Guild Award for the pilot. It was in 1980. It's a follow up to the Rockford Files. It's a buddy wow buddy PI drama oh. starring Ben Vereen and Jeff Goldblum. Okay, come on, come on. <laughs> Why don't we have this? How has this never come up before? A con man and an accountant wannabe. Not not an accountant, but somebody who would like aspires to be an accountant. Oh no, wait, sorry, I might be misreading how this sentence works. The sentence is a con man and an accountant wannabe private eye team up to fight crime. The accountant wannabe is hyphenated, so it seems like that's the the thing. Well, I don't know. But it's on Pluto TV. So that, I mean, what are you doing right now? We <laughs> <laughs> So now we have our second spinoff. Uh, yeah. Series. So we have the the um, the Richie Brockleman show, and now mm-hmm. Ten Speed and Brown Shoe. I mean, this is. I believe Beverine is Ten Speed, and Jeff Goldblum is Brown Shoe. I think, or is it the other way around? Mm, well, uh, Beverine is definitely Ten Speed. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's the con man. Jeff Goldblum's character is Lionel Whitney, which I'm assuming gets called Brown Shoe at some mm-hmm. point, and then that's their together they fight crime. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is a height difference between those two. Uh-huh. <laughs> and also, Jeff Goldblum in 1980 is a fresh-faced, yeah. <laughs> moppet-headed <laughs> youth. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's good. So these are the kinds of things you learn <laughs> from, <laughs> from uh, looking up some of this stuff. Uh, right. Good times. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. Cannell did some unsub. That's a whole nother thing. Anyways. Yeah. Well, this is this is like the first show under like Stephen Cannell Productions. Mm-hmm. Once he formed his own production studio, that was basically post Rockford because Rockford was a Cherokee production. Anyway, um, this is all this is all stuff you can read in a book. Uh, what we're here to do is to talk about the preview montage for Beamer's Last Case. Right. OK, so you have to bear with me because it's been a week since I've seen the preview montage. Mm. Oh, OK. So we start off with someone on the phone telling an officer to get down there before this guy kills someone. And I mean... You're not given much time to think about it, but my initial thought was that there's gunplay involved, but instead what you see is the firebird mm-hmm. just slamming into bales of hay over and over again. So I'm like, all right, I want to know what, what brings this on. We get a good euphemism here with uh, banking representatives in a threat that sounds a lot like Lone Shark. Uh, then we get some guy saying uh, that his name's not Jim Rockford <laughs> or Mr. Rockford, it's Jimbo. Like I told you, Jimbo. Um, and then finally, a very, very uh, iconic, or maybe not iconic, but a, a, just a very clear illustration of Jim's 
sense of self-preservation mm-hmm. where the same guy is saying beamer as we'll find out uh is saying i'm not the kind of guy you can blow away with a threat you understand and jim's like well i am <laughs> um yeah I, I think you hit all the all the points that i had noted as well did you know that we are a 100 percent listener supported show our patrons at patreon.com slash 200 a day keep us in the podcast business and in return receive exclusive episode previews as well as plus expenses a bonus podcast where we casually chat about media we're enjoying and the things going on in our lives we extend special thanks to our gumshoe patrons supporting this episode dale norwood wrote a book trading freedom how trade with china defined early america is about fast ships cheap drugs and american political economy published by the university of chicago press find it wherever good books are sold chuck from what you're reading dot com paul townend who recommends fruit loops serial killers of color at fruitloopspod.com shane liebling check out roll for your dot party for all of your online dice rolling needs jay adon showcasing his amazing miniature painting skills at jayadon.com dave p dave otterson kip holly matthew lee and jay thompson and finally a very special thanks to our detective level patrons for their generous support michael zalisco eric antenner at antenner on twitter brian Pereira at thermoware bill anderson at billand 88 jordan bockelman at jordan bockelman and of course richard haddam at richard haddam we follow them too at 200 pod if you're interested in keeping us going for as little as one dollar an episode check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you well we start our episode with a dramatic uh with a dramatic shot of a burned out taxi the camera starts on Mm -hmm. the badge and then kind of swoops out and pans and we get um some suspenseful music over this little pan of multiple burned out cars I want to specifically call out the music because we recently said that we we're going to pay more attention to this music, and this music is good. Mm-hmm. This is almost spooky Halloween music. There are a lot of elements of this episode, in addition to the script, that are like like we're putting a lot into this because it's the first episode of our season, and I feel like the music yeah. has a lot of <laughs> a lot of that, and uh, some of the some of the camera work. Uh, and editing is very, I wouldn't say experimental, but is like a little more elaborate than your average episode. Yeah. Um, one sequence in particular, which we'll get to. But yeah, good, spooky music, suspenseful music over this as we discover the slacks of a goon <laughs> and come up to meet Manny. So we have a couple returning um, guest stars uh, here. We're going to quickly get uh, Robert Loggia. Or Logia, Logia yeah. as a, oh, as yeah. Manny. I was just—he's definitely a, that guy. Yeah. Um. So this is going to be our wrap on Robert Logia. He was in Drought at Indian Head River, and then this episode, and then Rosendahl and Gilda Stern are dead, which I think is probably where right. I remember him from. But I think he's also like the main mobster in Indian Head River. That's the one where um where Angel gets caught up in a scam to buy land. Yeah. Like that isn't doesn't exist or whatever. Anyway, yes, he's a great that guy. And uh he does a good that guy job in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he's got two hundred and thirty three credits in, in uh IMB. So he's been you've seen him. Mm-hmm. If you've seen Big, you've seen him. <laughs> if you've seen 
you see them. Yeah, he's great. And we see him see the Firebird tearing out of the garage. Mm -hmm. He makes a phone call. So because we've had uh, multiple episodes kind of recently where like the dramatic tension is from knowing hearing part of a backstory and waiting to hear the rest like that was in um the gang at, at don's drive-in and this is the opposite of that <laughs> like <laughs> this after this scene i was like okay so this episode isn't really about this mystery um this is this is almost a as you know uh i don't know what the reference is but like as you know paul or like whatever like we get more details than i would have expected in this um exchange yeah so Manny makes a phone call. He is going to talk to uh, this, this, as we learn later, mobster. Though it's pretty clear from this that he's that they're all mobbed up. Uh, Phil. They may have trouble. That PI they hired, Rockford, could have overheard something. Phil isn't happy about this. He has two hundred grand tied up in taxis, and Manny's cousin Floyd is holding out on him by not signing a contract. And so, if all the independent operators. Um, you know, don't fall in line, then this whole scheme is going to collapse and Manny's going to be in trouble for it. Uh, Manny says he'll take care of it. And as we see another burned out cab towed into the garage, Phil says, uh, you know, you better or we're going to flash fry more than a couple of taxi cabs. <laughs> this is uh, I love I, I love mob. Well, we're not sure if it's the mob, but like, we, yeah, it's pretty mobbish. Rockford mobbish, uh, um, get rich quick schemes. Like they, they, they always feel like that there's like a bunch of bureaucracy involved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, I need him to sign a contract. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we then get a almost ballet like orchestral theme. As we see the Firebird just kind of roll onto a test driving course. And then there's a slow-mo freeze frame montage of the Firebird bursting through hay bales and sending people running away screaming as the credits come up over the uh, windshield. We see Beamer's last case right on top of the Firebird <laughs> where we very specifically cannot see the driver. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and here's the thing. I don't know if this will pan out in reality at all, but like clearly my thought well, we've seen already in the, the preview montage that somebody's pretending to be Jim. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, this isn't Jim. This has got to be someone else. Right. Uh, so I tried very close. Like I tried to see if I could see who the driver was. And I do think that they had someone other than James Gardner driving that car. Um, but I think it also was not Beamer. No, no, no. Yeah, they had a stunt driver. But it's interesting that they chose a stunt driver instead of just not because, you know, James Gardner would would drive the would do the stunts. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's uh, kind of famously he does his own driving stunts. So uh, either great attention to detail, but also or maybe good on you for giving Jim a break. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> in his body a break for this one. But yeah. Uh, this this scene ends with the the guy in the phone booth from the preview montage yeah. calling in the you know this this uh, this this dangerous situation the wild firebird and he does include the plate number uh, right before he scampers out of the phone booth as the firebird comes crashing through the phone booth <laughs> clearly not Jim um, there was a just 
it's not over you like it's just using this sequence and it's mostly so that we get all mm-hmm. the credits during this sequence but like the slow-mo here is really funny yeah like there was one shot where there's like two people running away from a set of cones as a firebird is like slaloming towards them in super slow-mo and it made me laugh i, I just yeah i just started <laughs> chuckling it was just it was very funny we cut to a point of view from underneath Jim's trailer where we see a cat. Yay! We know Valentino mm-hmm. has made an appearance. Past the cat, we watch a, a very fancy uh, Porsche. I only know that because it says Carrera on the side, and I'm pretty sure that's a Porsche. <laughs> um, <laughs> pull up, and uh, a woman gets out to see Mr. Rockford. This is Monica Steele. Um, she has engaged, quote, Mr. Rockford Mm -hmm. for some kind of um, investigation and is not satisfied with his work. We can hear through the door a voice that is not Jim's, you know, saying, you know, hold on a moment. And if if there was any question from maybe if you sat down after the preview montage or something, I think it's settled as soon as you hear the voice that like, this is not going to be Jim. Um, We have a nice moment where she says hi to the cat. And then we get who we can assume from the title uh, to be Beamer. Uh, mm-hmm. Open the door with his big black glasses wrapped in the front with the tape uh, taped together in the front. The other reason we know it's Beamer is because we've seen Nice Guys Finish Dead, which is the mm-hmm. kind of like the P.I. Assemble second Lance White episode that Beamer also yeah. appears in. So it's and you know it's the same actor and everything. So that is in the fifth season. Um I think, unless it's in the sixth, it's it's way down the road later. But we have seen this character before. Yeah, this is our rap on the character, but yes. it's, uh, it's not <laughs> the show's rap on the character. Right, right. Um, I just want a quick comment on Monica Steele's name. Mm-hmm. Perfect, perfect. She exists in a different kind of drama mm-hmm. that, than than the Rockford Files. Is that's fun, and she even says that in a later scene. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, it's this is this is a a textual interpretation. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, to to differentiate, I'm basically just going to call him Beamer. But you know, until until otherwise, he is still impersonating Jim, and everyone is calling him Jim and Mister Rockford. We can call him Jimbo. He, he prefers Jimbo. He prefers Jimbo. <laughs> uh, lots of patters. He like asks him about the cat. You leave your cat locked up oh, inside. Yeah. Stays in the closet. Likes to sleep in my shoes. It's a crazy cat. Bogeyhead cat. You know that? No. You mind if I drive your car? No. No, of course not, Mr. Rockford. Hey, hey, hey. Jim, a Jimbo, like I told you. <laughs> and then he burns rubber in her car on the way out of the <laughs> of the cove. One detail that I really liked, he's putting on a coat, and he's clearly putting on Jim's coat. Like this um, mm-hmm. checkered, it's not checkered. Plaid. Plaid, thank you. Like the, the, this plaid coat, but like just like brown on brown plaid. Like just, you know, fairly mm-hmm. mid, the mid-70s plaid, not the early 70s plaid. Yeah, yeah. But he's clearly putting on Jim's <laughs> coat and it doesn't really fit and he doesn't get the collar down right. So as he walks away and the camera's still behind him, we see that the collar's still flapped up at the back. It's it's a great moment because it's just like you can't even put yeah. the guy's clothes on correctly. Um, so we go from that to some stock footage of a plane and then voiceover over a long shot of uh, Rocky's truck. As Jim is saying that it's always nice to take a vacation, but it's better to get home. <laughs> and now we get into the first real drama which is rocky wants to know why he cut his vacation 10 days short he's got his his sunk his teeth into into something here which is the the case of jimbo's short short vacation Mm -hmm. 
he he does mention that he fed old Valentino all right, and uh, yeah. he he picked up he picked up the Firebird like he was supposed to, but he just doesn't see how Jim ran out of fifteen hundred dollars in just a week and a half. <laughs> they figured out all the expenses ahead of time, and Jim keeps trying to change the subject, but then. As mm-hmm. we cut to them coming up to the trailer, Rocky's just laying out all of the itemized expenses. Like your hotel was fifty dollars a day, and you're going to take the fishing thing, and that was two hundred dollars. Like blah blah blah. blah. I, I just want to just marvel at like the amount of money here. Fifteen hundred dollars is just like I mean, our shorthand is to multiply it by five for inflation. Mm-hmm. So we're talking we're talking about seven to eight thousand dollars and that yeah that's a lot this represents a big either a a big savings to take a vacation or Mm -hmm. maybe he had some windfall right yeah yeah i mean which is a thing that happens with jim from time to time but you get from the you know from from rocky laying out all the stuff is like we talked about this like this was this was planned so that you could spend all the Mm -hmm. money it sounds like he's he's been gone for a week and a half and he shut and he cut it short by 10 days. So this is like, you know, like a three week vacation, you know, like this is a big, pretty big deal. There's, there's an uh, unspoken thing going on here that I'm, I'm going to read into it that I, I don't think exists textually, but exists amongst these characters here is that like for Jim to go on the, a vacation without his dad for that amount of money, there had to have been a conversation ahead of time <laughs> about that happening mm-hmm. that uh, Rocky would not have let go. Mm-hmm. Um, and would have been like, you know, do his little Rocky guilt trips. Like I, I don't see how a fella could go not take his poor old dad on it, you know, right. that kind of thing. Um, and I think that that also informs why Rocky won't let go of it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, and we'll find out why the money very soon, why the money disappeared. But I think that that was Jim's plan all along. <laughs> and the whole reason why they had the conversation ahead of time and planned his fishing trip and everything was just so that Rocky was involved in the vacation in some way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good read. Well, as they get to the trailer, Jim sees the, uh, as I capitalize it in my notes, the totally trashed firebird. Mm. And it is a sad sight. It's all dented up. The the detailing on the sides is like ripped off and there's paint on it where it's been scraped. It's uh it's a mess. It's covered in dust. It's it's legitimately heart wrenching to see like Jim's reaction to this is great and it mm. feels very real. Uh especially after losing all that money. <laughs> and then right. like trying to tally up how much uh fixing that car up is going to be is just yeah. So apparently every so for every model year, Pontiac supplies supplied Garner's company, Cherokee Productions, with three cars for the season. So there was always two on hand if one broke down. Um, <laughs> and he had a that model year for 74, 75, 76 and 77. And then he kept the 78 model for the last two seasons. So that was from Ed Robertson's book. Um I wonder, and this isn't in there anywhere, uh, if this is like the last season's Firebird. Oh, right. Yeah. Since they're going to swap them out anyway or something. We've seen, I think it was season two, where they completely obliterate a car. Mm -hmm. They blow one up between seasons, Mm -hmm. an earlier season exchange. I wonder if this is just becoming a tradition in the... Uh, the Rockford file, or I guess by season four, it is, it is, or it isn't. <laughs> yeah. Keep, keep some older ones around for when they have to beat it up. Yeah. Yeah. But like on the first episode, 
of each season just doing mm-hmm. something horrible to the <laughs> I'll have to look through it and see. Yeah, we'll see if that's a pattern. Yeah, I don't remember. So, but yes, but yeah, Jim is distraught, of course, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Rocky doesn't know what happened. He picked it up on Tuesday, parked it. It was fine. Now it looks like this. Um, they get inside the trailer, and then Jim snaps his fing- snaps his fingers. Angel. Yes. <laughs> Rocky, though, he thought Angel was visiting some farm for 30 days. <laughs> I thought you said he was going to spend 30 days on somebody's farm. Yeah, that's right. He uh, doesn't get out for three more days. <laughs> you know, it's funny how wrong you can be about a guy. Now, you take only Angel. Who would ever have figured him for... Going down on the farm, riding horses, milking the cow and feeding the chickens. Uh, Dad, it's uh, not that kind of farm. We also heard we heard Angel on the answering machine. Um, other than that, this is his only appearance in the episode. But it is, mm-hmm. I, I love how it's, first of all, it's what we would expect as viewers. And then mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. Jim's first assumption. And then they're like, okay, we have to have a reason why it can't be Angel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I also love that Rocky is... Uh, like naive about the farm mm-hmm. suddenly he has a greater appreciation for angel because he went out to work on a farm right right and, and jim's like it's not that kind of farm <laughs> <laughs> um jim puts on his answering machine and there's just a series of angry messages yeah and this is when i think he starts to realize there's something else going on mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. he's here's from monica Steele. wants to talk about his rates he hears from um uh, Manny from the co- from the cab company mm-hmm. hears from the, a cop about a driving complaint made against him. Then hears from a from a lawyer representing the hotel that he was staying at and saying that he's going to be handling the situation where Jim left the casino owing over six hundred dollars. And now Rocky knows what happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Rocky, of course, is uh, starts in on him. This is the last thing that Jim wants to talk about right now, but. Rocky won't let it go mm-hmm. and ends up saying that those guys are going to roll turf over him and plant a headstone. And Jim says, no, no, they don't do that anymore. Now they, they gun you down from a slow moving Chevy. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get our second and I think final Valentino appearance. Yeah. Hey, Valentino. Hey, Valentino. He jumps into Jim's arms and gets a little, a little, a little snuggle. Um, and uh, we get to see Jim's part time cat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, at least Valentino's more friendly than Beth's cat, right? Which we never see, but here mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, are afraid of. Uh, there's the, in the the episode right up in um, Thirty Years of the Rockford Files doesn't really have a lot in there, but it does. It describes Valentino as as like a trailer cat, like the implication mm-hmm. being like this: the cat just hangs out like in the parking lot. Like it's not Jim's right. cat necessarily, but like a cat that will come hang out with Jim sometimes, which mm-hmm. that seems like a fair. <laughs> yeah. Jim leaves out food for the cat. The cat comes and hangs out with Jim when the cat wants to. That seems about that seems about right. On a personal note, we clearly have a cat like that in our neighborhood, mm-hmm. uh, but it always comes after hours. <laughs> I only know this because every time it snows, uh, and it snows and it's windy enough to get snow up on our front porch. Our front porch is covered in cat footprints. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, but we've never seen a cat. We've mm. never seen a cat. So it's either it's a ghost cat, which is a possibility. Right. Um, or it's just a cat that, like, late at night likes to hang out on our front porch when we're asleep. <laughs> There's these programs in Chicago that are that are both about controlling pet population and controlling the rat prop, like rat oh, yeah. um, issues. Uh, yeah. Where 
feral cats will be like spayed or neutered and have and they'll they'll have a tag on them and then there's like families that will leave out like food and there's like shelter and stuff but they're not cats like your family cat they live on the streets and they hunt rats and they just have like a place to go to like hang out so they're kind of safe um because usually feral cats you can't really rehome uh yeah. And so there's a couple of those in our neighborhood, or at least there's one in our neighborhood where there's a couple of cats. And so I've, you know, I'll see them. Like I recognize the cats. Um, <laughs> they have like a little orange tag that they wear. Uh, but um, yeah, sometimes you just have those neighborhood cats. That's, that seems like a, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. I know that, that outdoor cats can be a very, uh, a, a, a huge issue for like bird populations mm-hmm. and things like that. But like, you don't want to like be putting a bunch of poison out for rats or anything right, like that. Right. Having a natural predator, like mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I'm dipping my toes into something where I don't have any real knowledge. <laughs> so I'm going to step back out and say Valentino is adorable. Right, Valentino is adorable. I agree. All right, so now Jim needs to figure out what the hell's going on. Yes, his first step is the cab company to see Manny, um, where he just kind of busts into the office. And we get the first of what we can expect to to see a lot of of <laughs> the the person going, "Who are you?" And Jim saying, "I'm Jim Rockford," and then being yes. <laughs> surprised or 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 aghast. Manny uh, grabs a golf club and is kind of yeah <laughs> meaningfully fondling it for the rest of the scene until it comes into play again later. So there's good banter. This is all really playing on this whole confusion of, you know, mm-hmm. the identity confusion and everything. Uh, but the salient points here are that, you know, the Rockford Detective Agency uh, owes Manny $400 because he, you know, did not render services paid for. Uh, Jim's like, look, I don't know who owes you $400, but it's not me. I've been on vacation. And then Manny has, mm-hmm. this is great, where he's like, oh, I get it. It's a con game. Yeah, Mr. A comes in here with your ID, right? I hire you. He skins me for a cube of hundreds and he takes a powder. Then along you come. Oh, Mr. B. <laughs> you say, I'm the real guy, but I've been away on vacation. This Mr. A, he's been using my name, but I'm innocent. What am I supposed to say? It's okay? I mean, mistakes happen. Is that what I'm supposed to say? Even though my insurance man is out there foaming at the mouth over a couple of medium rare cabs? No, it's okay. I'm just going to eat the 400. Because I've been playing jacks with a square ball all my life. I don't know from last Tuesday. <laughs> Such a great line. Like that feels uh, like a, uh, a Stephen Cannell original. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I cannot, I cannot stress enough how threatening Manny physical his physical presence is. Mm-hmm. He's not like a, a giant dude or whatever. He's just good at being intimidating, and this is well. And he uses this golf club to his advantage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he hired Rockford. And then, or mm-hmm. he had his guy hire rock. There's like his accountant or someone <laughs> sitting on the couch, basically for comic effect. Um, it was like, he had his guy hire Rockford and then decided it was, it was a bad idea. Tried to cancel. Guy never answered the phone to cancel. Charged him anyway. I guess he paid up up front? Uh, question mark. <laughs> never did anything. And now he has another torched cab. And so he wants his money back. Jim tries to get aggressive with him, which is when he pulls up the golf club and he's like, oh, you want some? You want to come? Like, you know, come and get it. Yeah. And Jim's <laughs> like, okay, you're a hostile guy. <laughs> I'm going to leave. The, the switch up is great because Jim comes in very hot and yeah. very angry. And then when this guy just just matches him note for note, that's when Jim's self-preservation kicks in. He's like, well, you know what? Actually, maybe this is a misunderstanding. <laughs> <laughs> 
Back at the trailer, Jim does not know why someone would want to take over his operation. Uh, it's not like he makes any money. Uh, and he specifically <laughs> mentions he has like 15 finance accounts staring at $200 in his banking in his checking account. This is a, a grim picture of Jim's finances throughout this entire yeah. episode. And now just consider that he went on a $1,500 vacation. Mm-hmm. Owes 600 Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's already starting off uh, on the wrong foot. And then as we see, these expenses are going to start mounting. Yes. For some reason, I don't, maybe it's just because it's not done very often, but I felt like this is a, an, an interesting shot where usually when Jim's at his desk, we're behind Jim looking at like, and he's talking to someone. We're like behind Jim looking kind of at the door and whoever he's talking to is like standing there or like mm-hmm. at the fridge getting a, you know, getting a beer or something. And then here, Rocky's sitting on the couch and we're on the kitchen side and we're looking over Jim's shoulder at the couch. So we can see the whole bookshelf over the couch and like, yeah, I don't know. And, and I mean, and Jim's in the foreground. We're right at the shoulder. So there's something about it where I was like, I don't remember seeing this shot before. I'm mm-hmm. sure it's I'm sure we have. But for whatever reason, in this context, I was like, huh, I don't know. It really gave a sense of like that side of the uh, that that side of the trailer. Cause we right. usually see yeah. it in like one corner or the other corner. And so seeing the whole side at once was kind of interesting. I don't, it, it jumped out to me. I thought it was nice. It's a, it's a Paradise Cove's Zillow uh, <laughs> scroll through. We should. I should take a screenshot and see if um pass it by uh our our Twitter friend uh Bockelman, not Brockelman, uh Jordan, right, yeah. who's assembling Jim's reading list. Oh right, yes. I feel like there's you could probably read a lot of the spines in this chat. So shout out to Jordan. Um, you might want to check that one out. <laughs> Anyhow, uh yeah. So Jim's like, what's in it for this guy? Yes. And then there's a knock at the door. And it's a delivery guy who has a truck <laughs> full of Jim's stuff from Scotland Yard. And we get a big run, a big gag here of all this really over-the-top detective equipment that mm-hmm. has been ordered in Jim's name. And as we end up learning, charged on Jim's charge card that is just being unloaded uh, in front of his trailer. There's a whole list of them. Yeah. It's it's some good stuff, including the electronic carpet sensor, the battery-operated yes. portable Saiyan sifter, the <laughs> Noguchi XL1500 forensic medicine console and chemistry shelf, and we start off a running <laughs> gag of an electronic olive. Oh, that's probably a that's probably a misprint. Uh, get a good shot of Jim's address uh, mm-hmm. on the um, the James Rockford. 234 Ocean Boulevard, Paradise Cove, California, 92416. Mm-hmm. In case you, you wanted to write him a letter, send him a postcard, whatever. <laughs> but it's contradicted later in the episode, which I think is, is, is interesting. It? Or I think the the road that they send some cops to oh. is not Ocean Boulevard. It's like, when I get to it in my notes, I'll, sure. I'll point it out, I think. I, it, yeah. But yeah, uh, lots of, it, it reminds me, we saw an episode, and I cannot for the life of me recall it, where there's a, a detective. It might be the the nuisance, the attractive nuisance, mm-hmm. right? Where there's another PI who was really into techno gadgets, mm-hmm. but it wasn't comedic. He just that was his way of doing things. Yeah, and Jim yeah, kind yeah. of looked down on it. This is all the opposite of how Jim operates. Like he doesn't use any of this stuff. He can't even send it back because it's already paid for. 
and the dispatcher would just charge him storage for keeping it on the truck. So uh, we also get a good shot of the of where they came from. Scotland Yard Products, London, Illinois. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I meant to look it up. I mean, as Rocky points out, there is a Dublin, Michigan. Mm, there is a London Mills, Illinois. Uh, Illinois is filled with well, more old world stuff, right? They got Cairo um, <laughs> instead of Cairo. Mm hmm. Anyways, so I, I, I just assumed that there was a London, Illinois, uh, <laughs> because, uh, yeah, people didn't get original when it came to naming places. <laughs> They're looking through the boxes. Again, this is mostly visual gags of these, like, giant machines with these labels on them. And the forensic medicine console and chemistry shelf was too big to bring into the trailer. They'd have to enlarge the door, like, all this, <laughs> uh, all this good stuff. And this is where Jim discovers that his charge card is gone and that's probably you know that's where it got it got charged to and then he finds out that it was not a misprint there's in fact an electronic olive which is like a little <laughs> olive on like a martini stick with a you know with a little microphone in it and so we get a good wry smile as he finds the electronic olive yes jim's next step is to go to monica Steele. And uh, he has his ID and everything out and ready, I think, knowing what he's going to run into. <laughs> um, this is nice. I, I feel like we're kind of in a space where if we had another scene of someone not believing Jim, it would be a little samey. Yeah. But yeah. in this scene, she quickly acknowledges, like, she's like, okay. I feel like there's a little bit of like, oh, things make more sense now. <laughs> like, that guy, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. guy was a con. <laughs> I mean, Jim's yeah, also yeah. a con, but you know what I mean? Yeah. But she gets very nervous. Um, I told him things, confided things about me, about Ralph. There's a lot packed in here. So some of this, I think, is just for expediency. But there's this mm -hmm. kind of weird move where she goes into the house to go close the door to the pool so that, like, Ralph won't hear. But they're already outside the front door. So she could have just yeah. closed that door. But Close the front door. It's, it's, it's so that Ralph will have a reason to come confront yeah. Jim. Right. Um, so there's... A couple things here. First is we kind of get the story, the little sub story of Monica Steele, Monica and Ralph Steele. Uh, mm -hmm. So she hired Rockford because she was having an affair with her stepson's school basketball coach or something like that. I think it was even like an assistant, assistant basketball yeah. coach or something. But yeah, yeah. Dave Morgan. Dave Morgan. <laughs> Ralph found out he's an insanely jealous man. Put this guy dave morgan in the hospital and then he mm -hmm. started to fool around like out of revenge and so she wanted to get evidence of his fooling around as she says to get out of the soap opera somehow and i think you were <laughs> saying she seems like she's from a different like kind of show and like yeah yeah she's, yeah yeah she's from a she's from a soap opera <laughs> Jim asks about what his, you know, imposter looked like, and her description is great. Average, not attractive. His clothes never <laughs> seem to fit. Uh, but he hangs out at the Sand Pebble Bar Restaurant, mm -hmm. as opposed to the Sand Dollar, which is the restaurant on the pier, right? Yes. <laughs> um, this is when Ralph uh, comes to confront Jim. He, he yells at Monica, Monica to get back in the house. And Jim has, he snaps right in, right? Like, yeah, got classic. Dave Morgan's name so that Jim here could be like, well, I'm the attorney for Dave Morgan. And <laughs> like, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah just, I'm just asking some questions, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
And Jim does ask some like questions that he would ask if this was his actual job, like if he was a PI <laughs> doing this kind of thing. But he mostly just learns that Ralph has a very bad temper and doesn't see and does indeed seem to be capable of just, you know, putting someone yeah. in a hospital. Is it ever is it ever revealed what Ralph does? He leads an idyllic life. He's got a mm-hmm. like, I mean, obviously he's married to Monica Steele. Right. Which, you know, as we all, uh, but he's, you know, got this house in a pool and he sits by the pool with a typewriter mm-hmm. and I'm, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this feels like a fantasy of what a writer's life is I like. Think so. I think so. Mm-hmm. And he has an amazing telephone, which we'll see in a later scene. Oh yeah. Well, Jim is bringing the poor firebird to his mechanic, Tony. Uh, we get some good world building here where mm-hmm. Jim says that, uh, you know, he's, he can't get the uh, insurance company to pay for this one. It's going to be on his own dime. Can they do a payment plan like they did last Christmas? And uh, <laughs> yeah. Tony says that he, he went through bankruptcy last year, and now he has a bank guy looking over his books all the time, so he's going to need some kind of collateral, uh, something that floats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jim offers him an electronic olive, which uh, gets a bemused look, but they say they can work something out. Uh, Tony offers him a ride back to his trailer and then calls for Beamer. And we get a dramatic Mm -hmm. straight down overhead shot of the front of a car and some feet. And then the, the caddy rolls out and it's our friend Beamer with his glasses and the tape uh, in his workman's overalls revealed at last to us, the audience where this guy came from. Yes. Some things are now very much falling into place, uh, but they all will fall into place in just a moment. It's a it's a great setup, right? Here's a guy who is familiar with Rockford through this relationship, but also has access to his car, has mm-hmm. access to his key, and uh, is is well positioned to take advantage of uh, of the situation where Rockford leaves town for a vacation, and and we're about to get into. Uh, it's very enjoyable. I really like it, but it's also the most infuriating bit about this whole story, which uh-huh. is just how comfortable everyone is with this guy replacing Rockford. This guy can't see that he's done anything wrong. We'll get into it when we get into it. But like, and how everyone else is like, well, I mean, he said he was you, as if that was all, you know, like there wasn't mm-hmm. like a identity theft or anything like that. It wasn't a thing. Everyone seems to blame Jim. For the fact right. that Beamer impersonated him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, that's not how that should go. And yet, that's how banks work. Hmm. Like, you're held responsible for somebody stealing your identity. Anyways, let's go on. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's take a little pause in the action here so that we can all sit back and catch our breaths. And Epi and I can let you know where you can find us elsewhere on the internet. Because as it turns out, we do do other things then talk about the Rockford Files from time to time. Epi, where can our fine listeners find you and your work? You can find my work at www.worldswithoutmaster.com. That's worlds, plural, master, singular. Or at digathousandholes.com, with the thousand being numeral 1000. I like complex URLs. <laughs> you can also find me on Twitter at Epidiah, E-P-I-D-I-A-H. 
Where can we find you, Nathan? The hub for all of my stuff from games to zines to podcasts is ndpdesign.com. I recently started a new podcast called Appendix NDP, which is a solo show where I talk about various topics in games and publishing. So I will plug that for listeners of podcasts. You can also find me on Twitter at ndpaoletta, P-A-O-L-E-T-T-A. And on Instagram at the same handle, though I probably will only have pictures of my dog. So, you know, that may be a plus. <laughs> <laughs> now we return to the adventures of Jimbo Rockfish on 200 a day. In, in terms of the, the narrative of this episode, um, this feels like a really necessary beat to me. Because um, So there's mm-hmm. one version of this episode where the entire story is Jim trying to find out who this guy is and kind of changing, like chasing a ghost, right? And then like mm-hmm. the dramatic confrontation is is that brings everything together at the end. Uh, but that's not really how the pacing of the story has been. It's been much more comedic and like yeah. Jim getting increasingly frustrated, which I don't mind, but also I don't necessarily want to watch for an entire episode. So having the having the reveal of the impersonator be someone that Jim does know, he does not know that Beamer impersonated him yet, but we know, right? right? So now yeah. the the dramatic tension flips from is Jim going to figure out what's going on to okay, everything's in place for Jim to figure out what's, you know, what happened. So how is it going to resolve? Mm-hmm. Which I find more more interesting um to to watch um and we get the establishment of their relationship in this next scene where beamer is driving jim back to his trailer and it's uh pretty one one-sided i would say i think yeah. from jim's perspective <laughs> this is a guy he kind of knows yeah beamer um asks him about the magazine detective digest have you read detective mm-hmm. digest he's obsessed with the stories from this magazine it's real pi stuff and jim's kind of like yeah sure okay uh make sure to make this right <laughs> Mm-hmm. giving him the directions and beamer going like oh yeah i knew that like his 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 automatic response to everything is oh yeah i knew that i'll do that yeah <laughs> so beamer's super into this detective magazine and these detective stories he tells this whole story and uh jim kind of is non-committal and then he's like what do you think about that jimbo and jim says uh, must be working in the auto repair business and beamer gives him a look <laughs> <laughs> like ah you get me <laughs> yeah but yeah, I think it's also important to establish here that like Beamer's into PI stuff and Jim doesn't really care about Beamer. Doesn't really know him or, you know, pay pay him much attention. There's maybe like a little overtone of like Jim rolling his eyes at the romanticism yeah, of yeah. the PI stuff, which is uh which is always like a very delicate line to 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 walk when in reality your show relies on people being <laughs> really into the fact that you're a PI, but it, it works. I, I like it. Mm-hmm. It's very good. We have a ominous boot in the foreground as Beamer drops mm-hmm. Jim off at his trailer. And this is Mr. Ramirez, uh, the lawyer for the casino or the hotel, whatever. Mm-hmm. Apparently, so Jim's like, I have two weeks. I'll get him the money. And Ramirez says that he bought the note. So now Jim is dealing with him directly. Uh, two weeks is out of the question. He wants a $600 by 530 today. And they have some extremely good banter. Yeah. Here again, this again almost feels like it's out of another, like another show. Like this is out of the, I don't know, more noir, like 
hard-boiled detective show. This is Jim uh, in the Detective Digest that yes. Beamer is all, all, all up about. My banking representatives will be by at five to cancel out the debt. Have the money. Representatives, plural? That's right. Oh, I guess they travel in pairs because that way they have 20 fingers and 20 toes. I don't ask them how they do the addition. What counts is that it comes out all right in the end. He's also in the loan business, so maybe he'll come back to take out a loan. 20% per week? It's a tough business. <laughs> People just don't understand our side of it. So this lawyer is also a loan shark. Is the Yeah. Is what we're getting here. And at this hotel in, uh, I forget where it was, Puerto Rico or something? I don't remember where he went, but um, whatever hotel that he went to apparently is has this less than savory connection uh, back in Los Angeles. And Jim, I think rightly casts some shade on the idea, like I'm just supposed to take it on your word that you, that I owe you and not the bank, or uh, sorry, not the casino. Like, because, you know, here's a guy who shows up and is like, oh no, I bought it, so now you owe me the money. Mm-hmm. There's no evidence of that. Yeah, I think he does say, like, you know, go ahead and call him and ask or something. Like, I kind of imagine that Jim does check that out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We then go to a hop-in night spot uh, where the phone's ringing and the bartender is calling for Rockford. (laughs) Beamer's in a booth with a girl. He's glad-handing everyone as he goes to the bar. Uh, And, uh, you know, this is clearly the whatever, the sand pebble. Yeah. His hangout spot and like he knows everyone and everyone knows him, which is yeah. incredible that he apparently has set this up over the course of a week and a half. Right. Yeah. He's an affable guy. You, I can imagine him just talking anyone's ear off yeah. about things, anything he could. Yeah. He answers the phone and it is, in fact, we see that it is, in fact, Rocky who frowns and hangs oh, up. It's such a good, good moment. There's no like nothing. He says nothing. Yeah. But you just everything is expressed on Rocky's face about this situation. And you know what's coming next. Right. Like, right. You, like, cause, yeah. And then we get a great expression of Beamer's personality where he's right. hung up on and then he continues to have a call like he he does his side of a fake call so that the bartender keeps buying into his story right to like show off yeah, for, yeah. and he's and he's like oh I'm talking to this girl and he's like winking and stuff like it's a whole <laughs> it's a whole thing he finally hangs up he heads back to his booth and then a wild jim appears <laughs> the real jim he grabs him sits him down in the booth confronts him lists his grievances <laughs> Uh, Beamer's only real reaction is to get irate that his stuff finally came. He's been waiting for it yes. for a week. <laughs> uh, but it didn't come till after Jim got back. And Jim's like, we're going to go, you know, we're going to go settle things now. And he tries to hus- hustle Beamer out, but they get stopped by the bartender. And then a crew of his bar friends, because they're all Rockford's friends. He's one of yes. us and we're not going to let you take him or something like that. And he has this great, he's like, this guy has a gun. You think I would have let him handle me like this if he didn't have a gun? And so the guys all grab <laughs> Jim's arms and Beamer takes a powder, runs out. Um, and the bartender grabs a shotgun. Yes. And that's a cue for Jim to completely change his tone. Like he's done this several times now where he comes in very hot. And then the moment uh, things look like they're going to turn violent against him he's he's like hold up hold up we can talk this out we can we can we can figure this out this also transitions to seeing jim use all of his all of his powers i think oh yeah yeah 
he he explains the situation. He gives his wallet to the bartender, which, as we know, is always a dicey move. Jim handing over his wallet <laughs> to like look at his ideas yes. and stuff. He tells him who Beamer really is, gives the details about where he works and like all this stuff. And th- so the bartender is the proxy for all of this. Um, I think Jim co- keeps calling him Wyatt. I assume mm-hmm. like Wyatt Earp. <laughs> anyway, so we we see kind of the bartender kind of being like, okay, like eh, that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, you might be right, but he's run, you know, who's going to pay for Rockford's bar tab? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I don't care, um, but he's already holding his wallet, so the bartender tosses Jim's wallet to, to the waitress, Becky Baby, to find his charge card, and then Jim's like, okay, <laughs> fine. Earlier they said we're going to call the cops, so he's like, okay, fine. All right, all right, we'll wait for the cops. Suppose my story checks out. What happens then, Wyatt? You get to take a fall for aggravated assault, assault and battery, attempted homicide, extortion, and illegal detention. And if I don't get my wallet back right now, you get to take half of the extortion, Brenda baby. (laughs) His appeal to authority and his knowledge of, like, or his telegraphing his willingness to escalate to the next level. Yeah is what actually uh, saves the day here. And and like just the the legal mumbo jumbo. Like yeah. he just he knows exactly what what uh, mm-hmm. what charges will be will be dropped and or will be laid against him. Yeah. He, yeah, and he sounds serious enough that it's like even if none of this stuff like ends up being like like sticking, mm-hmm. what a what a pain in the ass for all these guys now to like go through this process because of this guy. It's like okay, it's yeah. easier just to give him his wallet and just tell him to leave. <laughs> yes. Jim is heading back to his trailer uh, in Rocky's truck. Uh, there's screeching tires. He dodges two cars that are peeling out of uh, Paradise <laughs> Cove. Here's shots. So there's kind of a little action-y sequence where there's one car that he dodges, and we hear shots, and then he pulls up towards his trailer, and another car is pulling a U and getting out of there. Mm-hmm. And so he runs inside, and Beamer is in his trailer with a bullet in his shoulder. He's holding his shoulder. We see blood coming down, and he's just saying, it didn't come. And Jim's calling for an ambulance and asking asking Beamer, like, who, you know, who shot you? What happened? The bulletproof vest. It didn't come. It would have helped. <laughs> <laughs> of all the things he ordered, apparently the bulletproof vest was the one that never made it. Yes. I think this is the moment, I, like, my notes... Uh, aren't very precise, but I think this is the moment when uh, somebody, whether it's Jim calling in for the ambulance or we get like some radio chatter or something like that, but somebody refers to the address as 29 Cove Road, mm. which is different from the 234 Ocean Boulevard. Mm. So that's mm. where does Jim live? Is it 29 Cove Road or 234 Ocean Boulevard? My pick from those, just from having watched this show for so long, mm-hmm. is I think that Cove Road is the actual address. Right, right. I think Ocean Boulevard might be like the road that Cove Road is off of, or something. Basically, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like we hear both of those, um, but I think that like Twenty Nine Cove Road is like the canonical address. So I wonder if Beamer like ordered it to. Like maybe there's like a business address or something for like the whole area. And then once they know who you're sending it to, they dispatch you or something. I don't know. We could do some some digging to find out. Well, I uh, did not find an answer, but I did find 29 Paradise Cove, Cove Road uh, is a m- actual mobile home. One bed, two baths, 1,000 mm. square feet. Uh, last on the market in 2015, I think. 
Uh, it sold for a little over half a million. Huh. All right. <laughs> it, so, so yeah. Um, yeah, I think I, I'm going to go with your theory. <laughs> I mean, there might be like a agency at, at the, um, there's no reason to go into it. <laughs> you know, housing management. Right. Yeah. There's like a HOA or something. Well, again, yeah, yeah. in Paradise Cove, we we that, the sixth season episode, we learn a lot more about the structure of the neighborhood. Yes, because there yes. is like a an association, like a tenant association or something. Yeah, because he becomes like the neighborhood watchman for a right, while, right? right? Like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> so, anywho, at our next stage in this episode, we are going to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, we get our a good scene with Dennis, uh, our good friend Dennis Becker. He's been questioning Beamer for twenty minutes, and he's not saying anything. <laughs> um, he won't talk. We we go in to confront him in his in his hospital bed. He's just has a whole spread of Detective Digest magazines, and he's so excited to tell Jim that he's he's called the editor, and he has a guy coming in to talk to him for a story in the in the Detective Digest. He says he's, he'll take all the stuff back from, from Jim. They'll work out the money, uh, but he's going to stay in the business. Freddie Beamer, P.I. <laughs> Jim, you know, and, and Becker by extension, but this is mostly Jim, um, wants to know who shot at him. Like, Jim is mm-hmm. concerned. So here we have a, I mean, this is a very fun scene. We really get the unstoppable force, immovable object situation where yeah. Jim Jim will not stop asking questions and Beamer will not tell him anything. <laughs> Jim has two concerns. One, if someone is trying to kill Beamer, he wants to he wants to help them, you know, help him not yeah. get killed. And if right. someone wants to kill Jim Rockford for something that Beamer did, they could come after him and he doesn't want that either. Mm-hmm. He cycles through a number of approaches to try and get Beamer to tell him his client list, who maybe would have a reason to shoot him, etc. Um, but Beamer, since he's gonna, since now he's he's in the business and now he's a fellow PI, Jim, have you ever heard about a thing called client confidentiality? <laughs> Not only does he have his own principles, he wants to talk. He wants to be able to talk to the D- Detective Digest with a clear conscience. Yes. Very important to him. Um, so Jim tries to be reasonable. Then he gets angry. He's like, you know, you were using my mm-hmm. name. So now I'm on the hook for everything you did. And Beamer's like, well, if you're going to get angry, Jim, I'm just going to have to ask you to leave. <laughs> um, and so Jim has a, a last ditch. Uh, you know, it's against the law to do what you did. Like impersonation. Yeah. Yeah. Identity theft. You know, using my cards, like all that stuff. And Jim says he's going to press charges. At least he'll keep you off the streets. Uh, Beamer's final response is that he's retaining Sidney Perlman as as his attorney. So what do you think about that? And Jim says, <laughs> that amuses me. <laughs> Out in the hallway, Jim is clearly irate. Um, Becker is being, I think, extremely calm, like as a yeah, response yeah. <laughs> to Jim being so mad. And he's flipping through the magazine. Where'd he get a name like Sidney Perlman? Detective Digest. Strange cases for my file. It's a weekly feature. Here, here. Harrowing legal experiences by America's premier defense attorney. He reads that stuff, Dennis. He is 100% chucklehead. (laughs) That's a good line. We then go to Jim breaking into Beamer's apartment. (laughs) Great next move. He has this big, these big wall calendar like graphs with notes on his. He he has these two cases that we've seen. He has this cab company yeah. thing and the steel 
you know, case. Um, so he has all this like paraphernalia of like, it's not quite red yarn on a, you know, cork board, but it's kind of in that zone. Um, and he also has a tape recorder. So Jim starts listening to his taped notes. And uh, the two things from here are one, he kind of hears some of the context about the cab company, which matches up with what we saw from the very first scene. Mm-hmm. But the way that Beamer makes his notes, it's like he's it's his rough draft for like a detective story, right? Like he's kind of writing it in his head as he's talking. Uh, and then Jim is also talking back to the recorder, giving telling him to do stuff. <laughs> like, like he describes a car. He's like, get his license plate number. And then yeah, later, yeah. there's an update on the car. He's like, finally. And then he describes the top of the car. He's like, oh. <laughs> like if you're gonna do this at least do it right yeah and and all of the all of the updates follow that same uh florid you know detective prose yeah it's all the all the purple prose one would expect yeah yeah um we then have jim giving becker a call uh it turns out that beamer's out on bail he does actually know this lawyer Sidney perlman yeah. because the lawyer gets his car fixed at tony's at the same place that jim does <laughs> great he's out on 300 bond and jim groans and dennis says what you got all your charge cards back right jim's like mm, <laughs> i think so uh he doesn't have anything yet on the cases but he's going to listen to all the stakeout tapes but dennis has a lead for him from the other side uh the arson squad's been investigating these car fires apparently phil moreno and manny arturis have some kind of a connection phil golf bag moreno the same yep that's a that's a mobster yep and uh this you know we remember that that manny talked to a guy named phil in the first scene and also manny was like Mm -hmm. threatening jim with a golf club like it's all falling into place we end with a great well thanks a lot dennis you are welcome (laughs) you imagine uh becoming a mobster right Mm -hmm. thinking to yourself i'm gonna get myself a nickname Right. You think you can get a cool like like earlier we get uh, Pedro E. Ramirez, E for executioner, mm, which mm-hmm. I, I think is what Rocky said That's about what him. Rocky says. Yeah. 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 You're expecting something along those lines and then you do something and then you get golf bags stuck to your name <laughs> for like the rest of your life. You just fill golf bag. Marina. Here's here's the thing. You can't give yourself a nickname. You know, that's totally washed. Right. Like you you're, you can't be mm-hmm. that guy. So once you get a nickname, like you can't reject it either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like once your golf bag, your golf bag, your golf bag. Yeah. Once golf bag, always golf bag. And as we will see, uh, in the climax of our episode, there is in fact a bag of golf clubs in his car. <laughs> so, <laughs> just a little detail. There, I, yeah. I looked for them and they were there. <laughs> and when you think about it, what are all the terrible things you could do to a person with a golf bag and or the contents of a golf bag? Right. Yeah. That's a pretty, that could be pretty horrendous. It could be a pretty, pretty rough, you know, origination for that name. <laughs> well, we go back to the other case, the steel dossier, as I'm going to start calling it uh, for this yes. one scene until it's over. Um, so Monica Steele is driving away from their palatial estate that apparently is you know, <laughs> the result of uh, some kind of writing empire. And we follow the car to discover Beamer standing in the driveway to stop her because he wants to talk to her. 
I have some new stuff about the case or something like that. And then, um, is his name Ralph? Yeah, it's Ralph. Yeah, it's Ralph Steele. Ralph Steele does not flow the same way that Monica Steele does. No. Mon- Monica no. Steele is a good name. Ralph Steele yeah. is a, not a good name. <laughs> <laughs> In my opinion. Apologies to all the Ralph Steeles out there who may be listening. Should have been Dirk, Dirk Steele. Mm-hmm. That would have been a good that one. That would have been good, yeah. Or like... Maximilian Steele. Hmm. I mean, we're getting into, you know, Remington Steel territory, right? Like, oh, yeah, you're right. We, we yeah, want to approach yeah. that, but come back just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Scotland Steel. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, anywho, Ralph Steele sees that Monica is talking to a man and runs across the, the, <laughs> runs across <laughs> the yard to confront them. Um, this is Jack Kelly, uh, Ralph Steele. Mm-hmm. Who we saw, um, this is the last of his two appearances. It's a wrap on Jack. Yeah, so this is Beamer's last case. We also saw him in The Becker Connection, mm. uh, our episode 94, where he played Kasajian, the, the main bad guy. And we noted then that Jack Kelly was a, was a, a maverick guy. So right. yeah. we have the fun little moments where, like... He and, and Garner get to like have a bit of a of a thing, which will be this scene as well. Um, so Ralph just runs up and just punches Beamer out, just takes him <laughs> down. And then Jim rolls up and he runs into the fray and he pulls them apart and pulls Beamer back. Uh, and he tries to just take him, hustle him away, stop, you know, de-escalate the whole situation. Uh, and this is where we get our great exchange from the preview montage. Yes. Both you guys are dead. I'm getting my gun. I'm going to finish both of you. Come on, Freddy, let's go. Listen, mister, I've been shot at before. I'm not the kind of guy who can blow away with a threat. You understand that? Well, I am. Excuse the intrusion. We'll be on our way. No harm done. Hey! Let's go, Freddy. And so now Beamer is mad that Jim is interfering with his business. By the way, Beamer has his arm in a sling, like the arm that got shot. So he's yeah. down an arm. <laughs> he just got <laughs> punched. And Jim uh, says a guy like that would shoot both of them. Well, sometimes a PI has to take risks. Not me. I make a habit of avoiding risks. That's why I still have a full set of teeth. <laughs> yeah, classic, classic Jim. Classic Jim. He wants to know how Beamer made bail. Beamer says that he charged it on his on his charge card, and Jim wants to see his <laughs> wallet. So they pull over, and, he, and Jim pulls Beamer out of the car and insists on seeing his wallet and keeps on pressing him until Beamer finally gives it to him with a, I was done with it anyway. And it is indeed Jim's final, <laughs> final charge card. <laughs> It's uh, one of the things that I, I'm enjoying, and again, enjoying in a way that is also infuriating, uh, is the the way that Beamer is unable to see that he is doing wrong. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, he's he's not even making excuses so much as just, just proceeding as if he's doing the right thing. He's acting like Jim is the problem here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Why do you want me not to use your charge card? Like, right? Like, come on, I'm man. I'm solving the case here. Yeah. <laughs> We get a little bit of puncture, like a little bit of getting to some some reality with with Beamer, where Jim said Jim asks him, "Look, what did I ever do to you?" Right? Mm-hmm. You know, nothing. <laughs> I like you, but spending his life under a car is you know not going well. Um, not making any money. It's not doing mm-hmm. anything. He says something like, uh, "Spending his life under a car means it's going down the drain like motor oil." And <laughs> He saw an opening to make a move, and so he took it. And now he's living his dream. Like, his dream is constructed from this Detective Digest magazine, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. He's like, and now I'm living my dream. 
I have an honest to God bullet wound here. Uh, <laughs> and this is, I think, the iconic difference between Jim and Beamer, where Jim uh, would never be excited about a bullet wound. And all Beamer right, has yeah. wanted <laughs> is to get a bullet wound in the course of an investigation. Yes. He says he has clients that need him. They don't like him right now, but they still need him. Um, and an editor from the magazine coming out to ask him questions about one of his cases. Uh, and Jim's like, about what? And I think we and we get a, a moment where Beamer acknowledges that he doesn't actually know what's going on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Turn something up, but I just don't know what it is. Yeah. But Jim asks him a couple of questions and kind of confirms for himself and for us that the guy that he saw at the cab company on one of the stakeouts... Is this mobster, Phil Moreno? Once he has that piece kind of clear, he changes tack. All right, Beamer, let's you and I hook up on this one. This is genius here. This is <laughs> so good. This is, uh, yeah, because Jim, Jim knows he's getting nowhere mm-hmm. strong-arming Beamer. He's getting nowhere reasoning with Beamer. So his only real chance here is to, uh, to, to deceive him. And uh, it's great. Yeah, I love this setup here. It's, I think it's funny because it's so obvious to us. Yeah. You, you almost expect Jim to think it's not going to work, but Beamer, this mm-hmm. is all Beamer's been waiting for. He's like, all I yeah, want to yeah. do is like work, like be a real PI, right? And so he doesn't have the self-awareness to think that Jim might be using this as a way to uh, manipulate him, which is what it is. Right. Jim has a job that's going to take him out of town, but it's critical. And I think Beamer literally says, this is all I ever wanted. (laughs) Uh, But they're going to, you know, the mob's involved, but they're going to crack this case. And they get back in the car and there's a line. Hey, hey, Jimbo, when the job's tough, we're the men, right? And Jim kind of (laughs) smiles and we cut to a big men sign on a bathroom. (laughs) It's a good cut. Good good joke in the cut. Beamer's leaving. Um, at first I thought they were at an airport, but they're actually at a bus station because obviously <laughs> I same thing. And it's a great, it, I, I, it's not like a misdirect, but it's just classic Rockford vibes. Like, yeah, Oh, I'm yeah. going to send you off. I'm going to do it on a bus though. Cause I can't afford an airplane right now. Um, Jim is sending Beamer to Eureka and Beamer's like, mm-hmm. what, what does this have to do with our case here? And so Jim has this whole yarn about, Oh, it's so good. Who do you think owns all the olive groves up there? You heard of Big Jack Cristiani, the artichoke king of Northern California? Huh? Where you been, Freddie? I thought you knew everything was going on in this thing. Yeah, yeah, sure, I've heard about that stuff. But Phil Marino came out of that valley. I mean, the mob's his own, most of it. Oh, sure you heard of uh, Tombstone Tommy Rico. Well, yeah, Torpedo, right? No, Freddie. The Fed. So he's sending him to Eureka. He wants Beamer to talk to Bill at the Texaco. He'll put him in touch with Tombstone Tommy, and that he'll be able to fill him in about anything about cabs that connects the, the Eureka outfit to L.A. And he very specifically wants Beamer to stay in Eureka until I can join you. It's just going to be a couple days, and then we're going to you know, finish the case up there. And he waves goodbye to him as he gets on the bus. <laughs> specifically, one of the things that Jim does here is he... he, he I mean, this is uh, it's all leading questions and stuff. Mm-hmm. Whenever Beamer asks him... Like, when Beamer's like, oh, so, you know, oh, so this, and then... Rockford says, no, not that. I'm talking about this. Like, I know something you don't know. But then when he yeah. says, like, you know, or the outfit that did this, this, and that job, you know, right? And Beamer's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know those. Y- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jim gives Beamer all the opportunities to show off 
that he knows something that he doesn't yeah. actually know, while demonstrating that Jim knows things over and above what Beamer even pretends right. to know, so that he still kind of has the upper hand. It's yeah. it's a good scene. It's one of those scenes where it's like it's good. anyone else doing these lines, it probably wouldn't be as fun. Like it's a real <laughs> yes. it's a real Rockfordishness full, yes, full yes. kind of <laughs> scene. Uh, yeah, it's it's basically he's giving Beamer a chance to feel like an equal, but also retaining the authority in the situation, right? So that right. Beamer can't actually set the terms for what's about to happen next. Yes. And of course, throughout all of it, we know as audience members, like there, there's no no way we know that it's all nonsense, but also we know that like this guy is going to find a way to mess it up. Yes. Mm-hmm. He's going to just find a way to mess it up as, as, as royal as he can. And, and we will see that play out over our next couple of scenes. So yes. here we have a, a kind of an intercut, uh, intercut scenes of Beamer on the bus talking to this poor woman who he sits next to who could not be less interested. Yes. <laughs> um, and Jim setting up, you know, setting up a sting, basically. So the Beamer side is he is basically repeating all the things that Jim told him with some additional embellishments. Um, yeah. So we get to hear it all again, which is very fun. This is this is where we get the gag about him swapping his glasses out, right? You know, we've mentioned that he's got these thick frame glasses with tape to hold them together in the middle. And then when he sits down next to this woman and it's clear that he's trying to impress her, he switches from those to sunglasses with tape holding them together on the side. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what it is. It's something along those lines, but yeah. They're very good. So yeah, during these, uh, these intercut scenes, Jim is calling each of kind of the principals. Mm-hmm. So he's, he calls Manny, he calls Ralph Steele, and he calls Ramirez, each to tell them, watch out for Beamer. He's out on bail. He's pressing charges about the shooting. He went to the DA, so he might come around. If he comes around, call me because I can control him. But he's flying off the handle, right? Yeah. Everyone seems to be surprised that someone shot it, you know, shot him or whatever, which I think is kind of par for the course. Two two fun details. One is that Ramirez is on his car phone, so we know he's very important. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) And he ends the conversation with, get off my phone, Rockford. I have business. But the thing that really stood out to me was Ralph Steele's phone, which is, I don't know if it would be an antique, but like a, like a two piece, like it has like the, the separate yeah. ear piece that you hold to your ear and the separate mouthpiece, <laughs> but it's all painted like an American flag. I don't know if you saw this, but it is no. Yeah. The entire body of it is either painted or, or wrapped or something to be like an American flag. It's I'll send you a, I'll send you a picture. What is Ralph Steele's deal? I don't know. (laughs) It is so funny, but yeah, he's clearly setting up a, a classic let's see who bites, um, situation, right? Like, I don't know which Mm -hmm. one of these guys was, was the shooter. I think his theory at this point is that like someone was trying to actually kill Beamer. It's not that someone was trying to kill him and mistook Beamer for him. I had a pet theory based on the fact that I was watching the Rockford Files that um, somebody was actually trying to kill Rockford and actually accidentally shot Beamer. But I don't think that that was ever his theory go- uh, going on. Yeah. I mean, in our next scene, he, he kind of explains what his thoughts are to uh, uh, to Becker. That come through. On- oh, there it is. Yes. Yes. Okay. What is up with that? 
So what you're looking? Well, can you describe describe to us what this phone looks yeah, like? Yeah, hold on, I, I lost it from. Okay, so yeah, it's an old timey phone. I, okay, so it's not legitimately an old timey phone, right? No. Like it's clearly meant to look like an old timey phone. But it is a contemporary, a contemporary manufacturer, I would say. Yeah, yeah, of the from the Rockford Files. Yeah, the base of it is star spangled. As, as, as you'd expect, blue with white stars. Mm-hmm. The the stem of it, red and white stripes, and then uh, the mouthpiece that you speak into is blue, probably with a red facing. It's a, it's mm-hmm. the other direction from us. And he's got, yeah, he has to hold uh, an earpiece to his, his ear uh, that has uh, is also blue with uh, red stars. So yeah, it feels like, it feels like a novelty phone mm-hmm. that you would you would get like for subscribing to Stars and Stripes magazine or something like that. I don't know. It's wild. It's like where? Why is this? I miss. And this is, he's sitting at the bar, and we can see the pool behind him. So okay, what year is this? This is seventy-seven. Um, uh, seventy-seven. Okay, so here we go. Here we go. This is my theory. Okay, because uh, this is this is a tremendously. 77 picture if this fits my theory because <laughs> we've got in the foreground we've got some liquor bottles the the labels are turned away from us so we don't know exactly what they are uh but they all look like they're they're probably brown liquors mm-hmm. uh there's a, a solid ashtray in the fore like that is a murder weapon ashtray yeah. mm-hmm. Uh, it's not giant, but it's, you know, ashtrays were solid. It's it, solid. Yeah. You either got the tin one that was, you know, flimsy, or you had like a really solid one that wouldn't, uh, blow in the wind and, and whatnot. And then of course, in the background, you see his pool and all that. But I think what's going on here, I think why he's got this phone, this novelty phone, it's the centennial, right? 76 oh, mm-hmm. was a mm-hmm. uh, hundred years. Yep. Uh, the centennial and like that was a thing that was a whole whole thing there's also a chair in the background that like is either from the 70s or from ikea <laughs> right right yeah it's um it's extremely good and uh yeah jack is jack kelly on the phone he's just wearing yeah. a taupe sweater vest yeah he and his hair is just middle-aged man hair like he could be this could be a shot from the Anytime from from when color television began through yeah to now, <laughs> and he would be dressed appropriately. It's so weird that I can't see Bart Maverick in him, but mm-hmm. I know he's in him. I yep. know he's there, but like Mace the yeah. hair, I don't know. Anyway, good I'll, stuff. This will go out on our Twitter. Uh, so if yeah, you, you know, want to see this shot? Uh, check out at two hundred pod. All right, so. Jim has set up whatever's going on. Beamer is finishes off his uh his monologue on the bus to this poor woman. Oh, a gun? Do I carry a gun? Of course I carry a gun. You know, like <laughs> trying to to be all big timey. But then he suddenly realizes, wait, I don't have my stuff. Yeah. He says, nice talking to you. And then he makes the bus driver pull over on the highway and gets off the <laughs> bus because he clearly can't go to Eureka without his stuff. And he yeah. runs across the highway holding his arm because he, he took the sling off, but his arm is still clearly injured and starts trying to hitch a ride back to L.A. <laughs> <laughs> OK, uh, Jim is staking out Beamer's apartment building. Um, he makes a call to Becker because he sees a car and we know from the description and he knows from the tapes that this is uh, the, the gangster's car, a uh, golf bag's car. 
So of the people he called, it's Phil Moreno that's coming to to finish off Beck, mm-hmm. uh, to to finish off Beamer. Dennis asks why, and Jim kind of Jim tells Dennis basically the story that we got from the very first scene. Mm-hmm. So we can just infer that that he figured it out from the tapes or whatever um, about the the cab like this cab scheme that was going on. Yeah. And then Beamer must have gotten in the middle somehow. And then we see Beamer staggering up to his <laughs> to the building. <laughs> this is a great little moment where Manny pops out of the car, grabs Beamer. We see that he's not only is he holding a gun, he also has little like rubber gloves, like clear rubber gloves on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like he's wearing he's in his murdering gloves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, but i don't know why that struck me as so funny that he's already wearing them but he's like grabbing beamer and pushing him into the car uh so it's good jim tries to pursue is blocked by a garbage truck so he's a little delayed becker calls in that the chase is is happening and we have a bit of a car chase as jim follows moreno's car and then the cops follow all of them mm-hmm At this point, I was kind of like, you know, just kind of like waiting to see what happens with Beamer. So I didn't note that this is a particularly interesting chase. Yeah, I don't have any notes on it either. Um, I think most of our car budget went into trashing the Firebirds Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, but uh, mid chase, uh, Manny knocks out the back window with a shotgun and starts taking shots at uh, Jim. following but is to no avail and they all get surrounded by the by the black and whites they're forced to mm-hmm. stop i think there's like a barrier across like they have to go through a field and then there's like a barrier across a a road and um they have to stop and then the cops uh block everyone off and pull everyone out of the car and as we so often assume justice will be served <laughs> this was where i saw that there was a golf bag full of golf clubs rattling around in the back seat as <laughs> Um, Moreno was trying to, uh, or not Moreno, um, uh, Manny was trying to, because Moreno's driving, but yeah, where Manny's trying to shoot the shotgun, but, uh, yeah, golf clubs. Mm-hmm. It's the name. Um, Jim pulls Beamer out of the car. Why couldn't you just stay in Eureka instead of coming back to eat a bullet? <laughs> like, Beamer's like, he's panting, he's clearly... yeah probably has the adrenaline and everything uh and all he wants is for jim to fill him in about what happened before the guy from detective digest gets there yes <laughs> it's like okay old buddy and then there's just this great shot as jim turns away from beamer beamer's wiping the sweat off of his face while jim is pinching the bridge of his nose like oh. yes <laughs> so we get the two of them like in the same frame it's uh, i think we freeze frame on that for a second it's it's very good mm-hmm. And then we have our final scene back in the trailer, Jim, Rocky, and Beamer. Um, Beamer is, is reclaiming all the equipment. Uh, it's all there, except for that vest. Never showed up. Mm-hmm. But Beamer apparently called uh, Scotland Yard in London, Illinois. Got Jim off the hook. He's going to handle paying for it. He'll take all the equipment to use it. He leaves the trailer. Rocky doesn't like Jim hanging around with that guy. And Jim says, he's not so bad once you know how to handle him. <laughs> Little, I feel like this is a little insight into how Jim and Angel mm-hmm. are friends, right? Mm-hmm. Like, just like, like, yeah, after a while, Jim can warm to you. And then our, our, our friend, the lawyer Ramirez, then makes an appearance mm-hmm. with uh, who I can only refer to as a gorilla. <laughs> because Jim has not been able to pay him back the cash, they're taking his appliances, starting with the TV. <laughs> Beamer comes back in. He's aghast that someone's taking Jim's television. 
Is this that guy Ramirez you were telling me about? I thought you said you were going to flatten his arches. Beamer, lay off. Can I help you with that, pal? Huh? Hey, Chip. Guys like us don't have to stand for this kind of thing. Look, Beamer. I told you. I know all about you, you know, Gacho. You bleed people, right? Every time you make an appearance, a hundred toilets flush all over town, right? <laughs> I don't know what it means, but it sounds really gross. <laughs> it's, it's a great line. I mean, I suspect it's just that he's scary, right? Like, mm-hmm. that, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's great. It's great. Uh, Ramirez just kind of chuckles and then says to his gorilla, ice this guy. So he winds <laughs> up. And then he spins, and as his fist approaches Jim, he shouts, No, I'm Rockford! (laughs) It's a wonderful ending. So we freeze frame as Jim is punched by the gorilla across the face, and his his arms fly out to the sides. Freeze frame, end of episode. Happy beginning to season four. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was good. It was good. Mm Mm-hmm. So it was a fun episode. I, I really yeah. enjoyed the romp. Um, good comedic moments. Uh, the, you know, the mystery is not a mystery to us. Mm-hmm. There's a mystery in there, which is who is it that took a shot at at uh, Beamer? But that doesn't happen till like almost halfway through the episode, mm-hmm. and I don't think anyone is invested in the answer of that. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it's kind of like any of them could have been. It's fine. I yeah. guess. Because we saw the cab stuff in the first scene, it's kind of like, eh, that's probably who it is, right? Like, Right. It's, it's probably the first person you see. Because <laughs> we had that screen time. Um, yeah. But the, the, the fun of the episode is, yeah, is really just kind of like watching them bounce off each other, seeing Jim get frustrated, and then turn his frustration yeah. into something productive once he realizes that Beamer, like, can't get... He can't warn Beamer off. So he has to... Right. He has to subsume him into the the story somehow. Um, I feel like it makes Jim really flex some creative muscles, which is fun to watch. Yeah. Um, bad for Jim's pocketbook. Yo, definitely. Like, uh, I, one of the things that I kind of love about this episode is that nothing happens to get Jim out of the debt he got himself into. Like, he's there's nothing magical that sets everything to right. Jim just owes that money. And he's probably out quite a bit of other money. Like, yeah, Beamer is, is covering the costs of all the random equipment and stuff, but Beamer charged so much on his cards. Right. Uh, and trashed his car. Yeah, he trashed his car. Yeah. I think that, like, that, that this is, this this episode is just a big setback for, mm-hmm. for Jim, uh, money-wise, which I like. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how he recovers. Yeah. Exactly. Unfortunately, I don't think we get to see any more Valentino. I think this is his yeah. one done. But it was nice to see Jim have a have a, a cat buddy to hang out with mm-hmm. when he when he wants. Um, but yeah, we'll uh, I think we'll go ahead and leave it there. It's a good. I feel like it, it it is a kind of it is a fun welcome back to the show kind of yeah. episode where like you get a lot of what Jim's about, but also it kind of doesn't feel like it needs to tell you what Jim's about. Like, it's like, if you're watching this, it's the fourth season. You probably kind of know what you're getting yourself into. So like, yes, here's how we're <laughs> going to have fun this year, which is kind of yeah. nice. That all said, I think uh, I'm ready to go run up some <laughs> bar tabs on your charge card that I might. What? what? <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, when we talk about another episode of the Rockford files, Bang 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 b